0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So last time we talked about deconstructing Christianity as a whole. But currently in our culture, there's another thread that runs along this idea of deconstruction, and that's the idea of deconstructing church. And honestly, that's fair. I mean, I even alluded to it last time that there are churches in our culture that don't necessarily line up with Christianity. So even if you are not questioning your faith or having a crisis of faith and not seriously doubting something, there may be some doubts about the church you're attending. And I really don't think any of us are strangers to this feeling. I think any church you go to, you're going to find things you disagree with. And the main reason behind that is because churches are filled with people. And people are imperfect and people are sinners. But nevertheless, it's a good question to ask because sometimes churches are, let's say, more imperfect than other churches. And sometimes they have more flaws than other churches and that are perhaps more in line with scripture, or the doctrines of Christianity, or the creeds of the apostles, the philosophies of the martyrs, and the theologians, and the historians. And we've already talked about this, so I'm not going to belabor this point anymore, but it's obvious. We live in a day and age with celebrity pastors, with corrupt megachurches, with televangelists who love money more than God or scripture, and especially more than the actual individual lives of their congregations. And yet we also live in a day where the good works that churches do are so evident. We live in a day where generosity at this moment in history compared to others abounds more and more and more. Where cultures are picking up the baton in a fight for justice, in a fight for equality, in a fight for fairness and for valuing human life. Granted, this is done in some ways more than others, but we don't need to get into that. And so for this episode, for the next 20 minutes we have together... I actually kind of want to take a look back at three significant historical figures that have deconstructed church That, while either trying their best and succeeding to some degree or another or completely succeeding to maintain a proper view of the person of Jesus. And, and, and I want to jump back a little over 300 years ago and talk about a man named Voltaire and then jump back 1,300 years before Voltaire and talk about a man named Augustine of Hippo, and then kind of compare and contrast them with the person who lived 300 years before Augustine, Jesus Christ. And and so the obvious comparison is the subject that we're talking about today, is that in a way, all three of these men deconstructed church. It was Voltaire that had the famous story, in which Voltaire had a vision, and of course he's writing everything metaphorically, so... I don't think that this actually happened, that Voltaire actually had a vision of this, but that he had a vision that an angel took him to see dead people who had died throughout history. And he met Aristotle, and Aristotle had died at the hand of the religious Greeks of his day because Aristotle told them that the sun and the moon weren't gods. And he goes on about that story. And then he meets a character, a figure, with bloody hands, bloody feet, and a hole in his side. And spoiler alert, but I think it's kind of obvious the man is Jesus that Voltaire meets in this story, and Voltaire asks the man, "How did you die?" And the man said, "I died for coming and telling people to love God and to love their neighbor." And they have a, a back and forth where Voltaire learns that it was the religious people that shouted for this man's death. And of course, if you know uh, history, particularly French history, you know that Voltaire was very outspoken against the corruption of the Catholic Church in France at that time. And He was outspoken against the corruption of the monarchy in france at that time and so voltaire got in trouble and risked his life to speak out politically and religiously and so voltaire and jesus in this story that he presents have this conversation where voltaire begins to ask jesus would i still be saved if i didn't confess everything to a priest and jesus essentially says well i didn't confess everything to a priest And Voltaire questions, would I still be saved if I didn't pay the penance of the Catholic Church? And Jesus says, I didn't pay the penance of the Catholic Church. And they have this dialogue and it goes on and on and on until the conclusion where Voltaire says, and essentially that he will not speak for the Catholic Church of his day, but Voltaire looks at the man who we find out is Jesus. And he says, but I do know that you are my Lord, that you are my King and my God. And I find that very interesting. And I don't know... I'll be honest, too much about Voltaire's faith or what it looked like. But I do know that the criticisms that Voltaire gave of the church and of the government of his day still ring true to us in this day. That Voltaire criticized the corruption of the church, that the church loved money and loved power and appearances more than the church loved the actual congregants or even loved Christ himself. Voltaire criticized his government for not allowing the people to have free speech, for censoring ideas that were different. And Voltaire himself had his ideas censored. Voltaire was ostracized by both the church and the government, and yet Voltaire kept company with the leaders of his day. Voltaire struggled to maintain a relationship with those that ran the church and those that ran the government, and not just the French government, but he even had relations with those that ran England and that were in parliament. And I'm sure part of that was because he at one point praised the way that England was running their government that it was a democratic monarchy. But I find that very interesting about Voltaire. Voltaire spent his entire life in an endeavor to speak out against corruption again politically but in the church. And yet he never left the church. And Voltaire is one of the men that really defines the French Revolution and so much of the Early 1700s, as far as that history goes, of the church and France and, and the state of Europe at that time. And, and then, of course, I mentioned another man. And then Augustine of Hippo. Augustine, of course, was from a small African village called Hippo. Augustine, and he was born towards the tail end of the Roman Empire and, he, and well into the age of the church. And Augustine was born. After the time that Constantine had converted to Christianity and the entire face of the Roman Empire began to shift towards one that no longer persecuted Christianity or saw it as a fringe religion, but rather adopted it in full. And unfortunately, as is usually the case with these things, Christianity became corrupted. Christianity started to look a lot like Roman culture. And what was the culture of Rome? Well, when Augustine wrote one of his great works, which is his work describing the two cities, the city of God and the city of man. It's where we get the idea, as, it, as we now know it, of original sin, because Augustine was one of the champions of this idea of original sin, that man is born depraved, that man is born into sin with a sin nature. And it sounds very hopeless, but it gets more hopeless as you read Augustine. <laughs> and Because Augustine wrote about two cities, the city of man and the city of God. And this is seeped into our Christian culture a little bit today, and for some more familiar with it, you might know this metaphor as the city of Rome and the city of Zion, or the city of Babylon and the city of Zion. And this is a very Augustinian idea, that essentially what he's saying is, man will never build the perfect government or church here on earth, but man can look forward to the perfect government, which is a theocracy being ruled by Jesus himself, in the future as well as the perfect church having the great high priest of Jesus at its head and at its organization. And I find that interesting because Augustine, again, saw the church becoming corrupted by the Roman culture. And what was the Roman culture around the late 300 AD like? Well, we know from history that at that time, Rome prided itself as a figurehead of justice, of social justice. That Rome took the Christian values and ran with them and ran with them so far that it left Christianity behind and took the values. And the justice of Rome and the fairness of Rome and the fact that Rome stood up and for those oppressed peoples and tried to right wrongs of their past became the dominating characteristic of Rome towards the fall of the empire in the late 300s. Add on top of that, because that wasn't the only characteristic of the Roman Empire, rome's free market system you see rome was also a very proud nation proud empire rome prided itself on the fact that any citizen could make something of himself essentially that any and every roman citizen had the opportunity to build and gain and acquire and protect and accrue wealth and rome as a culture valued the idea of showing off wealth valued the idea that if you make a lot of money in Rome, you should have a nice big house and you should have a fancy chair and your lawn should be well kept and you should have a lot of livestock and you should have a lot of servants and a lot of possessions. In other words, Rome was very materialistic. Rome was very built on the pride of working, which you can see some parallels to the conservative or republican ideologies of America today. But Rome was also very proud of its social justice. Rome was very proud that it upheld justice, that it was a forward-thinking empire, an empire that said humans will by their intellect overcome nature, humans will by their intellect solve many of the problems facing them in that day. Which again, if you're drawing parallels, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to see the comparison to our modern liberal or democratic views in the United States of America. And I know many of you listening don't live in America. Uh, I know a lot of you live in Ireland and Canada and other places in Europe, and thank you so much for listening, number one. But number two, you see this on social media. You see this in the media of our day, especially after the past couple of years where these are now polarizing views. Yet like Rome, they define our culture in a way. And Augustine of Hippo saw this creeping into the church. And so he deconstructed, as it were, church. He left the study, the church he was a part of, he, and he founded his own church in Africa. And he wrote, and he became a philosopher, seeking and hungering for truth. And, he, and I just think it's fascinating and worth mentioning that when the Germanic tribe that invaded his village, seeking to conquer and destroy, burned everything to the ground, and took away the women and children, they left Augustine's writings there out of respect for the old philosopher and everything he'd worked towards. Kind of a brutal story, but interesting nonetheless. And then we come back to Jesus. And I'm thinking of the Jesus that appeared to John in the book of Revelation, particularly in the first few chapters, that told John to write letters to churches. And there were seven letters to seven churches. And and two of the churches kind of had good letters written to them. There was a faithful church in which Jesus did nothing but to and there was a persecuted church in which he did the same thing and talked about how blessed they were. And... But the first church was the church of Ephesus, which was described as being without love, just a practicing church, but not a church that loved God or loved people. And Jesus said if they didn't change, he would remove their lampstand or deconstruct and dissolve this church. And... The next two churches uh, were corrupt and had compromised their purity and had chased after things that didn't honor God, and that was the church of Pergamos and the church of Thyatira. And again, Jesus promises to destroy. He promises to break the church down and save for the faithful few. And then then there was a dead church and a mostly dead church, right? There was the church of Sardis, which was dead, and then there, there was the church of Laodicea, which was lukewarm. And that's the lukewarm church was the one he promised to vomit out of his mouth if they didn't change and repent and come back to the faith that they had once. And the dead church, he promised to come upon them like a thief and to, again, take away the church, to tear it down, to deconstruct it. But nevertheless, in all of these churches in Revelation, one of the most interesting things is that Jesus is speaking directly to them. He's addressing them in a letter. And here... I think is the rub. Here's the comparison between all three men. Is that all three men saw the evils and the wrongs happening in the church of their day. All three men saw things the church was doing that didn't line up with what the church believed in or should believe in. But all three men didn't just leave the church and write about the church and how bad it was. They addressed the church directly. They looked the church or the church leaders directly in the eye and had a conversation maybe the conversation was through a letter maybe it wasn't actually in person but we don't see voltaire or augustine or jesus and there are other examples but for the sake of time i'm not going to go into them but we don't see these men leaving the church saying the church is corrupt therefore christianity must be false though people have done that throughout history and then talking bad about the church to others they address the church directly and i think that's the takeaway because look listen This idea of deconstructing church, it's not always bad and it's not always good. And I don't know if I can actually give you a definite answer of whether you should deconstruct church in your particular situation or not, because I don't know what kind of church you go to. I know what kind of church I go to, and I know that the church I go to is not always biblical. I know the church I go to sometimes does silly things. I know sometimes I walk into church and they're selling so much merch, it feels like I'm at a concert or a professional sports event. And at the recording of this podcast, at least I haven't left that church and started talking bad about it or started posting something on social media about it. As a matter of a fact, just a couple days ago I had lunch with one of the head pastors at this church. But anyway, my point being, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know if maybe you are in a really corrupt church that you should leave and take some time and figure out what church is supposed to look like and what that means and then maybe find a church that fits the conclusions you come to or that fits a lot of them and maybe challenge that church or start your own like Augustine did. Or Either way, I would argue in most scenarios it's more profitable for you to stay in that church and to challenge it. It is. And it, it comes back to the principle we talked about last time which is that if you have a God that you completely agree with 100% of the time, you don't have a God, you have an appliance. And I would argue a similar argument for a church. If you have a church that you agree with 100% of the time, then maybe that church isn't concerned about feeding you truth. Maybe that church is just concerned about pleasing you so that your butt will stay in their seat. And this makes sense, right? I mean, if you marry someone you completely agree with all the time, I would suspect the person you marry, or you, one of you, of not actually thinking. Because if two people agree about everything all the time, one of them is not thinking. And why any of us ever expect that of church to be a place that we completely agree with all the time is a misplaced expectation or an expectation that hasn't really been thought through. And so deconstructing church, is it wrong? Not all the time. Is it necessary? Not all the time. But it is sometimes. And it may be uncomfortable, especially the first couple times you have a conversation with a pastor or a church leader on something you disagree with. There's kind of a weird fear that gets ingrained into our modern American Christian culture, which is if I raise a question or a doubt to a leader, they'll look at me like I'm not even Christian, or they'll judge me and question my faith. But the reality is that probably couldn't be farther from the truth. The reality is is that they're there to talk with you, to address doubts. The reality is that they have doubts too, that they have questions that they wrestle and struggle with and research and have to talk to other people about. And maybe you deconstruct church together. There are good examples of that happening in history too. Sometimes revivals is the result of that. There, and we get great historical movements where even those that are outside of the church are affected by the benefit the culture has of a reconstructed church really loving its neighbors. I'm thinking of I'm, Martin Luther, William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., 400 years after Martin Luther. All three examples of men that used a proper biblical understanding to stir a revival to change the culture completely. The latter two being a little more related, with William Wilberforce ending the slave trade in Europe, and Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement, and ending segregation here in America. But in all examples, and in most examples you'll find in history, the second common thread. Alongside the first, which I just mentioned, which is staying in the church, making the change from within, the deconstructing and reconstructing from within, the other common example is an emphasis on biblical education, and not just biblical education, but philosophical education as well, but historical education, but scientific education. You kind of see where I'm going with this, that if you want to deconstruct the church, the proper way to do it is to be educated about what you're deconstructing and what you're reconstructing in its place. Because the human psyche isn't a vacuum and doesn't exist in a vacuum, we will construct a community in its place. And that community will be centered around something. It may be centered around money, or politics, or power, or gender, or race. Either way, a community will take its place. So not only do you need to be educated about what you're deconstructing, you need to be educated about what you're reconstructing. And so even if you don't want to reconstruct church after deconstructing church, you're doing yourself and the rest of us a disservice without spending time to properly research and educate yourself about these topics, about these grand topics. But I don't know, we're uh, just out of time for today, so let me know your thoughts. Are you in a church that you feel like needs to be deconstructed? Are you in a church that you feel like is causing you to doubt more than you want to or more than you think you should? As usual, reach out to me. Let's have a conversation about this. I'd love to hear from you on this. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Christian Skeptic, or you can send me an email at christianskepticshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. But for now, as always, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show.